Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're all having a good day. We have a lot to get to. I'm going to be talking about my portfolio. I'm going to be doing a strategy over the next seven weeks. I'm going to be doing a lot of selling and a lot of buying, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. We also have a couple news items. One of them is an interview with Jerome Powell. He's the Fed chair, and he answers some common questions, trying to explain what the Fed is doing. A lot of people are worried about the Fed printing unlimited money, doing all these different things that concern people. So he tries to answer some of these questions and explain what the Fed is really doing. And then we have a lot of drama and criticism surrounding Bill Ackman. So he's a hedge fund manager. He called into CNBC a couple weeks ago with a phone call that I could only describe as the most uh, dramatic, emotionally driven, scary phone call that I've ever heard by far on CNBC. He talked about millions of people dying, the end of the US, companies going to zero, all this type of stuff. And he did it while having a short position on the stock market, meaning that he was betting that it was going to go down. So this has obviously caused a lot of criticism for him. We're going to take a look at this whole situation as well. But of course, before going into any of those news items, I have to talk about my portfolio. I'm going to be doing something over the next seven weeks. And what I'm going to be doing is every single week, I'm going to be selling $2,000 worth of bonds and putting that money into equities, into the rest of my companies. Right now, my portfolio is a 20% bonds, 80% equities mix. And in seven weeks, it will be 100% equities. That's the strategy that I'm going to be doing going forward for the next seven weeks. You can see that I have a lot of cash balance here. I already started this morning. So just this morning, I sold $2,000 worth of bonds. And over the course of this week, I'm going to be spending all $3,000 of cash here and putting that into equities. Now, why am I doing this? Why am I selling out of bonds and moving that money into equities? Like I said, I'm going to be doing it $2,000 a week for seven weeks. And the reason why is pretty simple. I see bonds as having two main roles, two things that they do. One of them is that they're safer than equities. They are less volatile. They store value a little bit better than equities do. What that means is that if we have a huge downturn, a huge market crash, and it leads to a recession, it might be nice to have your bonds if you ever need to tap into your portfolio. So if your companies go down 50% in value and your bonds only go down 20% and you lose your job, you need some money, having your bonds might be helpful there. That's just one of the benefits of them is they store value a little bit better. It's like an in-between between a savings account and being fully invested in a company. That's one role they play. Now, in my situation, my employment isn't an issue here. I have income coming in. I'm completely gainfully employed. So there's no concern on that front. But there's another role bonds can play. They're pretty good store of value. I'm up almost $1,000 with bonds. And what that can allow me to do is sell out when they're up to buy equities when they're down. That's what I plan on doing. I'm using the bonds while they're in the green to sell them and cash out those gains and to put that money into equities. There's a lot of companies that I'm investing in that I just think will make it to the other side. I think they'll make it through this. I think they'll be far more valuable in five to 10 years. That's what I'm betting on. There's a lot of companies that I own that I've been buying for the past two years that the prices have come down on them. I want to take advantage of that. I have money sitting in bonds and I want to sell out of that to put more money into these companies. Now, I'm going to do that on top of doing my normal deposits. Not only is there going to be $2,000 of bonds moving into equities, but I'm going to still be depositing money on top of that. I'm going to be buying these companies pretty aggressively for the next two months. Now, part of my reasoning for doing this is the news. We have some things that might be positive. We have the Fed doing quantitative easing. We have the stimulus package. I guess those are two positive things. But overall, I think the big news that investors and people are really paying attention to are completely negative. The health news, for one, the virus continues to spread. This is negative news. If you look at the curve here, 
It's just going upwards. There's no flattening of this curve. The cases go up pretty dramatically every single day. So this might get worse over the course of the next two months. That's something that might happen. In that case, I'm going to continually be selling out of my bonds into those equities. But my bet is that within two months, we'll start to get some positive health news, that the curve will flatten within two months. So that's part of the bet here. That's part of my premise. If you don't agree with that, if you think that the coronavirus will continue to spread and wreak havoc for the next three or four or five months then you probably shouldn't emulate what I'm doing here. If you think that the Dow Jones will continue to fall after the next couple months, you probably shouldn't try to emulate what I'm doing here. What I'm doing is based off the assumption that the worst news is going to be within the next two months, but sometime within that window, we'll start to get positive health news. So there's some risk involved here. I don't know what direction the market's going. I've never been one to predict the market. I just know that right now prices on a lot of companies are really low. So I'm going to be taking advantage of that. But we'll see what happens. Either way, it should be interesting to see how this works out. Now, moving on from that, I want to jump into a couple news items here. The first thing is Jerome Powell does this interview and he explains what the purpose of the Fed is, the biggest role that they're playing right now. What's happened is all over the world, investors have pulled back to very, uh, very uh, less risky things. That's understandable. But what that's meant is that many places in the capital markets, which support borrowing by households and businesses, I'm talking about mortgages and car loans and things like that, have just stopped working. So we can step in and replace that lending under our emergency lending powers. And we will do that. We, we will look wherever, wherever there is in the capital markets where credit is not flowing, we have the ability in this unique circumstance to temporarily step in and provide those loans. And we will keep doing that uh, aggressively and forthrightly as we have been. So he outlines there one of the main roles of what the Fed is doing. We have these more risky markets. He mentions mortgages and car loans. You could look at my holding NRZ, new residential investment. That one has been very beat up over the past month. In these specific markets that are pretty risky, that investors move away from during times like this, they have no liquidity and it causes a lot of problems. So the Fed steps in and offers liquidity in those specific markets. The next thing that he talks about is his overall thoughts on this situation. He talks about this downturn in particular, and he shares my thoughts on this overall. This is a unique situation. So I think this is people need to understand this is not a typical downturn. What's happening here is people are being asked to close their businesses, to stay home from work and to uh, to not engage in certain kinds of economic activity. And so they're pulling back. And uh, at a certain point, we will get the, the spread of the virus under control. And at that time, confidence will return, businesses will open again, people will come back to work. So you, you may well see uh, you know, significant uh, rises in unemployment, significant declines in economic activity, but uh, there can also be a, a, a good rebound on the other side of that. And that's actually one of the main things we're trying to do by assuring the flow of credit in the economy and keeping rates low is to assure that that rebound when it does come is as vigorous as possible. Now, like I said, I mostly agree with this sentiment here. I look at this issue and I think that it's a pretty temporary issue. The biggest problems we're facing are temporary. That's mostly the virus. The issue with the job loss and with the economy struggling right now is based on the government telling everybody to stay home, shutting things down. So that's the issue we're facing. I think that it's a temporary one. And like Jerome Powell points out here, he's trying to make this transition from where the economy was to where it's going to be after this health crisis is over. He's trying to make that transition as smooth as possible. 
so that the economy stays okay during that time period of struggle. In the meantime, I do think that we're going to have a lot of bad news. We're going to have worse job numbers. The unemployment will be very high. We'll have very low GDP. There will be a lot of negative economic numbers, but I think the big thing that people are focusing on is the virus, and I think the timeline for that is limited. Now, the next thing that he's asked about is this broader subject. A lot of people are having debate over whether the cure, which is shutting down the economy, having people be quarantined, is that actually more damaging and worse than the actual virus that we're facing? Is it worse than the actual problem itself? He's asked about this. I think the sooner we get the uh, spread of the virus under control, people will regain confidence. When they become confident that is the case, then they will very willingly open their businesses up, go back to work, the consumer will be spending. So I think the first order of business will be to get the, to get the spread of the virus under control and then resume economic activity. Now, either side of this debate, whether you believe the cure is worse than the, the issue itself, if you think that we're harming the economy and that's going to cause more trouble than the actual virus is, I don't think it really matters at this point. Like he points out, people aren't going to have confidence to go out and resume normal activities as long as this virus exists. It doesn't matter if the government says, all right, everybody can open back up shop. People aren't going to go out to restaurants. They're not going to go to movies. They're not going to go on vacations if our hospitals are being flooded with patients from this virus. So either way, whatever side you fall on with that debate, the virus has to be solved. So everything that Jerome Powell lays out here fits along with, with my thoughts, my timeline as well on this. We have the virus come along that causes a lot of economic problems, as well as health issues, obviously. But this causes the stock market to go down, knowing there's going to be a lot of layoffs because the government is shutting down the economy. Jerome Powell steps in with the Fed and says we need to help out the economy during this time of trouble. He acknowledges that it's a temporary issue, that there's no systemic fundamental problems with the economy, that this is caused because of a virus. So I agree with all of that. And I agree with him saying that the virus is going to set the timeline. We can't open back up the economy before the virus is figured out because people won't have confidence to go out and do commerce. So we're waiting on the virus. Nobody knows exactly when that's going to happen, but there's estimates that within the next couple months, we'll be able to flatten the curve. So that's part of the timeline I'm working with. And he also believes that there could be a pretty vigorous return to economic activity after this is over. So what that does with the stock market, we don't know. But my assumption is that the stock market will be more positively viewed when we start hearing good health news. All right, now moving on, I have to talk about Bill Ackman. This interview he did, this was on March 18th. Let me just go ahead and play a couple clips from it. I'm not really even nitpicking. You can go play the whole interview, and the tone is very similar. So I'll go ahead and play just a few parts of this. Once you have the thought experiment, okay, that, you know what, everyone feels, you know, 99% chance I'll be okay, okay, but it's not you. It's the person you give it to. And the paradigm I had, I said, look, I am not going to kill my father. Okay. Okay. So in that clip, he talks about how he doesn't want to kill his father. And here's another clip. I'll just play another one. The way we are operating is until a vaccine is manufactured, distributed, and injected, we will go through a depression era period in the country and millions of people will die around the globe. And as many as a million Americans are going to die. Uh, and it's just math. Okay, so there he's talking about a global depression, millions of people dying around the world, and up to a million Americans dying. Now let me go ahead and play another clip. It's killing young people. It's killing healthy people, right? And I think if originally what happened, if this broke out in New York, and it was killing babies, okay, the country would not have taken the approach it has taken, okay? But that is the approach that we have to take. Assume it's going to kill your child, okay? 
assume it's got a one in 50 chance of killing your child and operate accordingly. Okay. So talking about it, potentially killing your father isn't enough. You have to talk about a global depression and you have to talk about it killing millions of people. None of that is enough. Now you have to think of it killing babies, which is something this virus really hasn't been known to do. This is all, again, the same interview. Let me go ahead and play another clip from it. But now, you know, take a look at Hilton stock. We're a major shareholder of Hilton. Hilton is the canary in the coal mine. This is an incredibly well-capitalized, amazing, dominant global company that actually doesn't own many hotels. It just collects royalties down from like 120 to 50. Okay, it's going to zero, okay, along with every other hotel company in the world, you know, park hotels and resorts. This, you know, stock's down from 33 to 4. This is a spin-off from Hilton. Why is it at f- down from 33 to 4? Because Every hotel is going to be shut down in the country. Everyone. Now he's talked about the global depression. He's talked about his father dying. He's talked about babies dying, uh, millions of Americans dying. And he's talked about his specific investment, Hilton Hotel, going to zero, is what he says. That it's going to go to zero if we remain on the same track that we currently are. Keep in mind that he is a shareholder of this company. He mentions that in the, the clip as well. But he's saying it's going to zero. Now, of course, conveniently, a little later, we find out how Bill Ackman turned $27 million into $2.6 billion during the crisis. Let me repeat those numbers again. He turned $27 million into $2.6 billion during this crisis. It says billionaire investor Bill Ackman announced earlier this month that he had been hedging his portfolio against market volatility spurred by the coronavirus. The bet paid off handsomely. Ackman's Pershing Square Capital Management Hedge Fund laid out $27 million to buy credit protection on global investment grade and high-yield credit indexes. The purchases, which were made late last month when credit spreads were tighter, carried limited downside risk with the potential for significant upside. Ackman said Wednesday that he finished unwinding the hedges on Monday, reaping $2.6 billion in proceeds. So he still had this position, this short on the market. He had it open while he did that interview on CNBC. Now, of course, this has caused a fair bit of criticism for Bill Ackman. A lot of people claiming that he used his CNBC appearance there to manipulate people into having a more bearish view of the market. Is that something that I would put past Bill Ackman? No. He's gone on public campaigns against companies that he has a short position on. If you look at Herbalife, Bill Ackman had a short position on that company, and he frequently went on television talking about how bad of a company it was. Whether it was true or not, the point stands that I think he's somebody willing to go on television and create pictures that try to help out his positions. At that time, he had a short position on the U.S. economy. The more that he could bring that down, the better that he would profit. And this has put him in a very good situation because right now he made the $2.7 billion from his short position, and that's more than he lost with his equity holdings. So now he can transition those earnings back into his equity holdings. In this tweet storm, he tries to explain himself. He goes through and talks about how this is just a simple insurance policy, that he really was bearish on the economy, and that he did this to protect his holdings. That's his reasoning behind it. Either way, you look at this and you have to be careful about what billionaire hedge fund managers are saying on the air, because a lot of times they have their own personal incentives with sharing some points of view. Okay, let's respond to some emails here. The email address is joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. That's joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. The first one's from Daniel. He says, Joseph, hope this email finds you safe and well during this trying time. Thank you for your videos. They have helped keep me sane during long hospital hours and stressful investment events. Keep up the good work and level-headed commentary. Well, Daniel, thank you for working in a hospital during this time period. So 
Not something I would want to be doing, but I appreciate everybody that is doing that right now. He says, my question is regarding the viewpoint on the morality of stock selection. Tobacco companies have been extremely defensive investments due to their inelastic demand. And I think that remains true even through this pandemic. I believe that despite some social changes regarding cigarettes, they still have years ahead of sustainable profits tied to high dividend yields. Do you feel any draw to these stocks for their intrinsic investment value? Or does what we know about tobacco today make you steer clear? Would your advice to others differ from your own personal choice? Yeah, Daniel, this is something that I get asked pretty frequently. On paper, tobacco companies should fit in well with my investments. I'm a dividend investor. Obviously, a lot of those companies are well-established, large companies with a wide moat. They have a big customer base, and they can continually pay out shareholders. On paper, tobacco companies would fit in well with the portfolio. Now, the reason that I don't specifically seek out tobacco companies to invest in is for a couple reasons. One of them is I don't care what people do, what decisions they make. If people want to smoke, I have no issue with it. I don't care about that, but I do care about how companies make their money. Tobacco companies have been seeing a decline in their customer base. A lot of their customers are quitting. They're moving on to different products. There's less youth doing it than the previous generation. And they've seen a decline in the overall number of people smoking. But yet these companies are making more and more money. Now, how does that work? I'll go ahead and quote a little bit of this Wall Street Journal article. It says, Far fewer Americans are smoking, and yet U.S. tobacco revenue is soaring. Thanks to years of steady price hikes, Americans spent more money at retail stores in 2016 than they did on soda and beer combined. So tobacco companies have a declining customer base. There's less people using their products, but their profits, their revenue is soaring because they have increased the prices drastically. They realize that they have a strong level of price control and they can increase it over and over again and people will still pay for it. I don't think that that's a good way to run a business. I don't think that they're serving their customers that well. I think that their customers deserve better than that. So that part I have an issue with. I think that they are really taking advantage of their customers with their pricing control. So I don't love that aspect of the business. If a business wants to make more money and make more revenue, I think that they should offer more value. That's the way that I would want a company that I own to be able to increase its revenue. It should in some way offer more value and then it's okay to increase the price. But what they're doing is offering the same amount of value and charging drastically more for it. And that cuts into every single person that buys cigarettes it cuts into their budget. It hurts their finances. They're now spending a significant amount on cigarettes. So there's just multiple things that I don't really love about the industry. I don't love about the business practices behind it. I realize that investors can make money doing it. This is why you should base your investment decisions off of your own decisions. It shouldn't be based off of other people. So this is part of the reason that I don't invest in tobacco companies. There's other companies that likewise, I don't love the business model behind them. So I'm not going to invest in them even if I think that they can make money. Herbalife would be one of those companies. I don't love multi-level marketing companies. Uh, private prisons would be another one. I don't love the industry. I wouldn't put money in it, even if I thought that I could make money. So there's going to be certain categories of investments that I'm not really impressed by the business models behind them. I don't think that they're serving their customers well, and so I'm not going to put any money in them. Now, I just want to point out, it's okay to disagree with me on this. If you want to invest in tobacco companies, there's no problem there. Everybody can make whatever investment decisions they want. I'm going through and explaining mine. Karen says, hi, Joseph. Love your show. Recently, my family and I have been talking about where we should be putting our money during this time. I've been saying to dollar cost average into the stock market so you can get all the highs and the lows. My brother has been saying to invest in gold or wait for the market to drop lower, try to time it. 
but I don't believe in timing it. How could I rationalize to him and my family that they should be dollar cost averaging into the market and that maybe gold isn't the best option to get into and timing the market also isn't the best idea as they may miss the bottom. I've tried providing facts to them about the average increases in the market over history, but I feel like I'm not getting my overall point across and it's coming off as an uncertain choice to make. This is a stressful time for us as well as the threats of job loss loom, so I want to be able to come off as friendly and helpful and certain as possible. Well, I appreciate the email, Karen. I think reading through this, the issue is that you're looking for a specific certain answer, and that's difficult to give as an investor. So you say at one part, you want to come off as friendly and helpful and certain as possible. The issue is the certainty. There's no easy answer. There's no specific certain answer to what to do. That's based off of a lot of assumptions. Nobody can see the future. There's some people that act like they can, but nobody can see the future. There's lots of people that take credit for events in the past, but everything is obvious when you're looking backwards. Everything's obvious in hindsight. When we're in a situation like we are right now, where there's a lot of variables at play, there's people becoming unemployed, there's a virus spreading, there's the government trying to help out. There's lots of things going on at once. Trying to act like there's one specific certain answer to what's going on is impossible. The best we can do is look at all the events, look at all the different types of outcomes that could happen, and see what has the highest likelihood of happening. See what is most logically the most probable outcome. We have the stock market down 30% from its highs, somewhere around there. We have unemployment spiking right now, which was expected. We have the Fed and the, the central government trying to help out with the issues, and we have a virus that's spreading that they estimate in two weeks we should hit the spike in it. We should hit that curve. Now, there's a lot of forces at play here. There's a lot of variables. There's a lot of things going on. There's no specific answer that is the right answer. That's not something that you'll ever get from a really great investor. I'm looking at all of this and making my decision based off the assumption that we'll hear good health news within two months. That's my assumption. I think within the next couple months, we'll be able to control the spread of the virus. So that's an assumption that might not turn out that way. I can't see the future. Maybe it will continue to spread. Maybe it will wreak havoc. And what's happening in New York will happen every other place. These are possibilities that could happen. In that case, a lot of the buys I'm doing right now would probably not be great buys because those stocks would continue to fall. So I can't say with certainty what is going to have the best outcome. That's impossible to do. So what you can do is look at all the possibilities and use your best judgment. Now, another thing I want to mention is you say how you're discussing this with your family. You all have your different opinions on it. Your brother's saying to invest in gold or wait until the market drops lower and try to time it. I think it's okay to discuss investing with family. Obviously, I like discussing investing with other people. So I discuss it with family as well. But realize that you don't have to have a consensus. If it's money that you're earning, if it's your money, you can invest it how you want. You don't have to have approval from family members. So I would keep that in mind that if you've done research, if you feel really strongly about a way to invest it, if you believe that you have a good investment strategy, then you can invest the way you want to. You don't have to have a consensus of opinion. You don't have to have other people agree with you. I think it's good to listen to other people's arguments, to consider what they're saying and see if that changes the way that you view things. But I don't think it's necessary for other people to agree with you. So I would continue to have those discussions, but ultimately you should do what you think is best. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and end this episode there. If you guys want to have a more daily discussion, you can check out the Discord. There's a link in the description that helps support the show as well. A lot of these episodes get demonetized because of the nature of the edgy stuff we talk about. So supporting the channel that way helps out a lot. I appreciate everybody that does. Otherwise, I will talk with you guys next time.